Hi there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. Hey, uh, welcome. It's great to have you here with us this morning. My name is Mark and I serve as the pastor here. Kids, it's awesome to have you in our service today. It's always great to be together as one big family and to celebrate. I'm going to ask the kids to just help me out with something <clears throat> before I get started. So sometimes on Resurrection Sunday, uh, somebody will say, He is risen. And then in response, people shout back, He is risen indeed. Okay, so I'm just going to ask the kids if you can get ready with your biggest, bestest voices. So when I say he is risen, you have to shout back at me with your biggest, biggest voice. He is risen indeed. Have we got it? Okay, let's have a practice run. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That was pretty good, but I reckon we can do better. Do you reckon we can do much louder than that? Are we ready? He is risen. That was good. That was good. He is risen indeed. And that's why we are here today. I want you to use your imagination this morning. I want you to cast your imagination back 2,000 years. um, And I want you to imagine that you are living in Jerusalem. It's a Saturday morning. And the previous day, you stood among the crowd that were there when Jesus was nailed to a cross and died. And today, on the Saturday, everyone's talking about it. You go down to your local cafe to have a coffee and uh, you pick up a couple of newspapers while you're waiting for your your flat white or your latte or your long mac topped up or whatever it is might be. And the headlines read something like this, Son of God crucified, where were his angels? Or young wannabe hero dies a criminal death. After the events of Good Friday, without question, Jesus would have been seen by some as a a complete and utter failure. He was dead, he was buried, and perhaps by the Saturday, some people had even forgotten this Jesus. The Jewish leaders probably felt really chuffed with themselves because they've managed to dispatch of an upstart, a local upstart. But they had no idea, nobody had any idea that the resurrection was coming and they had no idea that when people encountered the risen Jesus, that he would change absolutely everything for each one of those people that would encounter him. And in fact, they had no idea that those who did encounter him would go on and change the world. On Friday, we spoke about encountering Jesus at the cross But today it's Resurrection Sunday and today it's a really, really different conversation. It's a a conversation filled with hope and joy and promise because today's the day we're talking about encountering the risen Jesus. In the uh, scripture that Shelby read to us, Mary Magdalene, she plays a really, really important part. She was one of the women from Galilee that Jesus had met in Galilee and she had followed Jesus devoutly every step of the way, all the way to Jerusalem. She was one of the few people that followed Jesus all the way to the cross. And on Easter Sunday, she arrives. She's the first to arrive, in fact, at the tomb and that's the place where Jesus had been laid to rest, where he'd been buried. But when she arrives, the stone that had been sealing the tomb had been rolled away and the body was gone. 
So at that point, Mary rushes off to find the disciples. She, she's about to share what she thinks is dreadful news with Peter and John. They say, they've taken our Lord away. They've taken our Lord's body. Mary was no doubt feeling really overwhelmed with anxiety and, and fear, having witnessed the crucifixion just a, a few days earlier. And she probably suspected that these Jewish leaders had done something with Jesus' body. And Peter and John, they hear this news and then they head off to investigate, to, to check out Mary's claims. And, and Peter, Peter heads off first. He's, he's enthusiastic to get there, but John's a faster runner. And John overtakes Peter. He arrives at the tomb first, but he gets to the tomb and he hesitates. He stays outside. Perhaps like Mary, he's a little bit fearful, doesn't know quite what he might encounter. He can see the burial clothes, but no Jesus. Then Peter arrives and he doesn't ask any questions. He doesn't think twice. He just rushes straight in. Peter was impulsive. He was passionate and he just ran straight in. And all he sees are burial clothes. The linen was lying there. The headcloth was neatly folded. But no sign of Jesus' body. But the grave clothes appear to be strangely undisturbed. Jesus' body seems to have just disappeared. Almost like he's passed through the grave clothes and left them behind. Eventually, John musters up the courage and he sees Peter in the tomb and he goes and joins Peter in the tomb. And in verse 8, we read these words. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. For all of Peter's fervor and his enthusiasm and his passion, John doesn't say anything about Peter believing. So perhaps Peter was not yet at that point of believing. But throughout John's gospel, seeing and believing are connected right the way throughout his gospel. Seeing and believing, there's a connection. Jesus performs a whole range of, of different miracles throughout the gospel of John. And he, he, do, he does these signs, and these signs reveal something about who he is. They reveal something about Jesus' divine identity. He turns water into wine, he heals the sick, he walks on water, and each one of these signs is an invitation, it's a call to respond. It's a call for a response of faith and belief. And the empty tomb, this is the ultimate sign. This is the sign to end all signs. Just as those who had seen Jesus earlier were challenged to believe, so too this sign, this empty tomb, it called for faith. It called for those who had seen it to believe. Verse 9 tells us that they still do not still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. John believes, but the picture is perhaps still a little bit blurry. He doesn't perhaps fully understand how this has happened, why it's happened, what's happened. Perhaps he doesn't understand the significance of what's happened. And that's how faith works, right? By definition, faith always requires us to take something of a leap a leap of faith, to move from unbelief to a place of belief. It's a leap because we can never quite fully get there through our own knowledge and our own experience. We can't fully know all there is to know about Jesus. So we have to take a leap to move from unbelief to belief. The story continues and, and we see um, Mary encounters two angels in the tomb and then she, in the garden, she, she, Jesus appears to her. 
At first, she doesn't recognize him. She thinks Jesus is one of the local gardeners. But once she realizes, she says the words, Rabboni, Rabboni, you are my teacher. And she believes, she believes. Now, it's really interesting that Mary meets Jesus in a garden. Where else in scripture can you think of where a woman is found in a garden? Any ideas? Maybe the boys and girls can help me. Any ideas where in the Bible we come across a woman in a garden? I just thought I heard that. Eve, exactly right. That's right on the money. The Garden of Eden. We we come across a woman in a garden and now we find ourselves in a second garden. This is the garden where Jesus meets Mary. And this is a quote, I really like this quote, it's from, a, it's from an author by the name of Edward Clink and it, carries, it captures the, this awesome comparison between Eve in the first garden and Mary in the second garden and, and Edward Clink says this, the serpent promised that the first woman would be like God whereas Jesus announces that the second woman would be with God. The difference is stark for the actions in the second garden returned the creation to the intended state of the first garden. I love that. So sin had entered into the first garden. Sin and death entering the first garden. But then in this garden, in the garden where the resurrected Jesus meets Mary, Jesus' resurrection is something that has the power and the capacity and the ability to change everything. The power to break the sin and death, to restore us, and in fact to restore the whole world to what God had originally attended in the first garden. After Mary's encounter with Jesus, she shares the good news with the disciples. She says, I've seen the Lord. And later in the chapter, the disciples, they're locked away in a room somewhere. And they're fearful. And Jesus just magically appears to his disciples and we're told that they believe. But later in the chapter, we read that Thomas wasn't in the room with the disciples. They tell Thomas, Thomas, guess what we've seen? We've met with Jesus. He's alive. And Thomas says, unless I see, unless I touch, I can't believe. And so later in in chapter 20, Thomas does, in fact, have an encounter with Jesus. Jesus appears to Thomas. Thomas touches him. He speaks with him. He gets the proof that he's asked for and he also believes. So Jesus comes to Peter and John at the tomb. He comes to Mary in the garden. He comes to the disciples in one room and he meets with Thomas in another, in another room. He comes to each one of them in different places, in different ways at different times. And he says to each of them, I am here in the power of the resurrection. I am here in the power of the resurrection how will you respond how will you respond to the risen Jesus that was the implicit question that came to each of them because remember throughout the gospel of John belief is associated with a sign and this was the miracle to end all miracles the sign to end all signs and they each responded with faith they each responded with belief to the resurrected in the resurrected Jesus and God's spirit miraculously just transformed their lives. In fact, the resurrection power 
transform the disciples from this average bunch of ragtag individuals, some of them who even denied knowing Jesus at all, people who were fearful and ran for the hills at the slightest whiff of trouble and resistance. They were transformed from that into this vibrant and courageous and flourishing community, the early church. We read in Acts about the early church and it, and it just spreads like wildfire, even in the face of the most adverse persecution because people had encountered the risen Jesus and the Spirit of God had changed to transform their lives. In fact, we see the Spirit of God in the book of Acts not simply changing individuals' lives, but He changes families, He changes communities, He changes and transforms cities. Jesus' resurrection was absolutely central in the early church, and it's something that's still absolutely central and critical for us today. It sits right at the very heart of our faith. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians 15, 14, he says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Paul doesn't mince words here. He's basically saying, without the resurrection, we've got nothing. Without the resurrection, why bother preaching? In, in fact, without the resurrection, there is no gospel. We may as well just pack up our bags and go home. Because in the absence of a risen Jesus, we have no gospel. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul highlights the significance of that in our lives, in the lives of those who follow Jesus. And he says this in Romans 8, 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. So the Spirit of God who had breathed life into Jesus' body. The Spirit of God who had caused Jesus' heart to start beating, to cause his lungs to start breathing, to cause his limbs to start moving, his eyes to open. It's the same Spirit of God who breathes life into us. It's the same Spirit of God who today empowers us, who enables us, who strengthens us. The same Spirit is at work. The same resurrection power that raised Jesus himself from the grave is actively at work in us today. God's life-giving, life-transforming power was at work in Jesus. It was at work in the disciples. It was at work in the early church. And it's also, he's also at work in us and through us today. It's God's Spirit who enables us to follow Jesus. God's Spirit who enables us to live the Christian faith, to bear fruit. He's the one who enables us in our marriages when, when we have challenge. He's the one who enables us and empowers us in our relationships. When we come across a really tricky situation in our workplace or in school or in uni or wherever we might be, God is with us through the same resurrection power at work in our lives.
I was thinking about this and I thought it's actually perhaps easier to, to see God at work in those more dramatic and challenging seasons of life. I don't know about you guys, perhaps you've encountered uh, Jesus in a difficult season of your life. You've experienced perhaps a miraculous healing or God's provided for you financially or you've had a, a breakthrough in a, in a difficult relationship scenario. I was thinking back to when Heather and I lived in Melbourne and we've shared some of these stories with you before but we were relatively poor Bible college students and on so many occasions we had bills that were due or overdue or our power was about to get off kind of overdue and the right amount of money would kind of just show up in the mail or somebody would give us a gift that some you know in most cases we hadn't said anything to anybody and this money would just miraculously show up but it was in most occasions only enough only enough to pay the bill that we had in front of us we needed to continue exercising faith and belief on one occasion, and we have shared this story before, uh, our, our old 1976 Corolla, uh, which is now resting in peace, um, it had a flat battery and we couldn't, we couldn't afford to get a, a new battery. And uh, I remember coming out of the house one day and a friend who was with us visiting from Perth and he saw this battery sitting under a tree near our car, a brand new battery that fitted our 1976 Toyota Corolla. God used to provide for us like that so often. For us, these were miraculous ways of God providing. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead was actively at work in our lives, was actively at work in, in, our, in our marriage, in our relationship, in our finances. And he was active in ways that we could see it, in ways that we could appreciate it. But God's Spirit's actually with us always, even in those everyday kind of humdrum kind of life moments. So we can encounter the risen Jesus in ordinary life moments. And I had this experience on the fishing trip a few weeks ago. I went down south with a bunch of guys from church, went fishing, had an awesome time. Um, I was one of the few guys that actually caught a really big salmon. Um, there are photos, I'll show you guys afterwards if you don't believe me. But I had a great time. But um, I drove down by myself. I, I, I drove home by myself. And I had a fair bit of time by myself while I was down there. And I, I'd driven through the dunes on the way out. And I was in the ranger station inflating my tyres. And I just had this moment. God just said to me, uh, it was just like this, uh, a, a twitch in my heart that said, you know, over these last few days, you've been really present with me. You've been really present with me. I just had this sense that I'd, I'd had a bit more time, a little bit more space to simply be with Jesus. This wasn't earth-shattering stuff. This, was, this wasn't divine providence. This wasn't a miracle. But I was reminded and I was encouraged by the fact that God desires to meet with us no matter what it is we're doing. Even if we're hanging out with a bunch of blokes down south with our fishing rods in the water, four-wheel driving and having fun. God takes an interest in our everyday, ordinary moments of life. I don't know about you, but at times I find myself encountering God just in looking at a sunset or a sunrise. Those moments where God's majesty is on display in his creation. Creation itself speaks to us about a God that's creative a God who values beauty, a God who's actively involved in this world that he's creating. 
created, making the sun come up and go down each day in ways that bring beauty and majesty and splendor into our lives as we just look at the the handiwork of our God, the one who sustains our world. Now, even though the same spirit who raised Jesus to life dwells in us and infuses us with life, we do find ourselves 2,000 years removed from the resurrection and perhaps something of the wonder, something of the mystery of Jesus coming back to life is not quite as fresh for us as it once perhaps was. I mentioned on Friday that with the Easter story in particular, perhaps you've read it or you've heard it so many times before. And perhaps you're so familiar with the story that it's lost some of its impact, some of its ability to shock you, some of its ability to move you. And the resurrection is a story that should shock us. It is a story that should surprise us because dead people don't come back to life and live for all of eternity. Well, at least they didn't until Jesus. The Jews would have been completely and utterly blown away by what they had seen, by what they had experienced. There were some Jews who believed in the possibility of a resurrection. There were some Jews who did not believe in the possibility of erection. But nobody had ever witnessed it. Sure, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he didn't live forever. The resurrection of Jesus was something different. This was a different category. This was unique. This was special. This was a one-time event. As I was trying to get myself into the story, a little bit along the lines of the way Shelby invited us to, to, to think and imagine ourselves in the story earlier, I was thinking about Mary Magdalene because she's really prominent in this story and just trying to feel something of the things that she may have been feeling in this moment. How defeated, how completely and utterly defeated she must have felt standing at the cross watching Jesus die because Jesus had radically transformed Mary's life. We read in John's Gospel that Jesus had in fact cast seven demons out of this Mary. But Jesus had seen her when so many other people had rushed past and failed to see Mary. Jesus saw this Mary. He saw her situation. He saw the trouble that she experienced in her life and Jesus set her free. She had faithfully followed Jesus all the way from Galilee to the foot of the cross. Now everything was lost. Perhaps with Jesus' death, some of Mary's own hopes and dreams and ambitions that she'd started to come to life as she followed this Jesus who had set her free. Perhaps with Jesus' death, some of those hopes and dreams that she had were also put to death. But then, but then she arrived at the empty tomb And she, of all people that could have witnessed this event first, God gave her the gift of being the first one to experience the risen Jesus. He appeared to me. What an incredible privilege that was for Mary. Can you imagine her excitement? Imagine the elation that she must have felt in that moment. Because she got to witness the most incredible miracle that had ever been seen. He's alive. How can this be? He's alive. 
all of those things that Mary had perhaps been hoping for and dreaming for, brought back to life in that moment because Jesus was alive. Jesus was alive. Mary encountered the risen Jesus and he moved her from a place of grief, from a place of sorrow, from a place of brokenness to being overwhelmed with joy and belief and hope. And some of those things coming back to promise. That's what happens when we meet with the risen Jesus. That's what happens when we meet with the risen Jesus. He totally and completely transforms our lives. He, bring, he makes it possible for us to have hope and joy. Makes it possible for us to flourish in life. Today we're reminded that the resurrection did take place, that Jesus is alive. We're reminded that the same spirit that raised Jesus is with us. As you look, as you look into the empty tomb this morning, what do you see? What do you see? Can I invite you to try and see with fresh eyes, fresh eyes, the resurrected Jesus, the one who is alive, the one who dwells with you today. See, believe, respond, and allow him to transform your life. If you've never, ever said yes to Jesus, if you've never believed, perhaps today is your day to respond to what you've seen, to respond to the invitation that's extended to you today. We're going to move into a time of communion now. And on Friday, we shared in communion. And I don't know if you noticed this, but on Friday, the table was filled with sort of dead twigs. But today, it's filled with greenery and beautiful flowers. It's, it's a place that's filled with hope. It's, it's a very different kind of communion conversation. On Friday, it was a time of, of, of silent reflection. It was, it was a time of, of being solemn and feeling some of the weight of the cross, feeling some of the weight of what Jesus had done for us on the cross. But today is about celebration. Today is about looking forward with an unshakable hope to the day that the book of Revelation envisages where Jesus is enthroned and ruling over all things. Today we celebrate an event of such immense and incredible significance. We celebrate today that it is finished. We celebrate today that he is risen. So when you're ready, I invite you to come and to grab, grab one of the communion cups and wafers and eat and drink in a celebratory fashion. Don't eat with a solemn, heavy heart. Today, eat with a heart that's filled with joy. Because as we gather around this table today, he brings promise, the promise of new life. The promise that we too will at some point be raised to new life. Will you join me in prayer and then I'll invite you to come and, and take communion. Father God, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you that in and through the person and work of Jesus, you conquered death. You conquered sin. It no longer has any power over us. We thank you, Jesus, that, that you came, that you gave your all for us. Thank you for the cross. Today, we thank you for the resurrection. 
And today as we gather around this table, we're able to do it with hearts and minds that are filled with hope. Hearts and minds that are filled and overwhelmed with joy. We thank you, Jesus, that in you we find life. We thank you that in you we find forgiveness. Thank you that we find family. Thanks that we find hope and promise. Today we just want to say thank you. We say thank you with hearts that are filled to overflowing with thankfulness. Amen. When you're ready, come and, come and eat and drink.